Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. It is good to be here with you all. If I haven't met you before, my name is Jake. I'm the executive pastor here at Mercy, and it's my joy this morning to get to worship with you all, to sing praises to the Lord. Isn't he mighty? Isn't he wonderful? What a joy it is on this weekend to get to worship together. I would like to introduce you to today's preacher. Okay, so I'm going to bring up Josh Jones. For those of you, yeah, give him a round of applause. For those of you that haven't met Josh, Josh joined our staff back in January. Him and his wife, Ashley, and their three kids moved here from Texas, the great land and country of Texas, the wild, wild west. Uh, It is a joy, though, to have Josh, despite him being from Texas. He is, in fact, such a gentle leader. And if you haven't gotten to know him, my encouragement would be get to know him. He oversees our group's ministry, our membership, our student ministry, helps lead the staff and leaders that that participate in leading those ministries, and he's been such a gift to our team. He offers a different skill set that none of us have. He brings a disposition that's gentle and humble, and I'm really excited to hear him preach the word of God to us today as we continue in Philippians. So Josh Jones is going to take it from here, and you guys can clap for him one more time. All right. Good morning. Um, and I can't help but feel like with all those gentle comments that I need to wrestle or something. Um, but man, it has been such a gift for my family to be here. Um, we have loved, absolutely loved getting to be with you guys over this past six months. We've been able to worship here with you guys and, and with Mercy Northeast, Northeast, we've been able to worship with y'all too. And uh, it has been just a, just a source, you guys have been a source of encouragement to us. Um, we've loved getting to serve with you, worship with you. Many of you we've gotten to know, um, and there's still more that we want to get to know, and, and there's probably still more that you want to know about me. So I thought I'd start off with a little bit, right, just some things that you might want to know about me. The first is, yeah, get ready. I went to school at Texas a and Can I just, like, I have been praying that when I shared that, that it wouldn't just be dead silence, right? And so I'm hoping that at Northeast it happened again. I've been in Clemson for 11 years and nobody whoops in Clemson, right? Every once in a while, I'll find a car that has a license plate that said, okay, this wasn't planned, but I'm gonna share this story. There, this is really embarrassing. There was a girl running down um, the main like street in Clemson and I was driving in my car and I saw she had an A&M shirt on and she had on maroon shoes, and she was running. And so I rolled down the window, and I said, whoop! And she just looked at me like, like I was giving her some kind of a call or something. I was like, oh my goodness. And like, I rolled up the window really fast and took off because I didn't want anybody to know that I was on staff of this church or anything about me. So, but we made it through, and it was okay. But anyways, we're here, and we're glad to be here. Um, I met 
Um, so after I graduated from A&M, I went to a, a church in Denton, Texas, where I was a part of a discipleship program. Um, and that's where I actually met my wife. She's from Clemson, South Carolina. She came out to do the program the same year we met. Um, and, and really, like, when I first saw her, like, took my breath away. And I didn't have the courage to go up and talk to her for a long time. Johnny Martin's sitting right here. He's the guy that helped make us talk and, uh, um, and brought us back to Charlotte. Um, but we've, got, we've been married for 15 years. We've got three kids. Our daughter Ivy's 14. She's getting ready to be a freshman in high school, which is hard to believe. We've got twin boys who are 10. Um, and so life is full. Um, and one of the things that I like to do um, like just as we've been in this season of transition, but really it's just kind of like a regular rhythm um, that's helpful for me in general is to run. I'm a runner. I grew up in a family of runners, and over time, um, I developed a love for running myself. I don't do long distances. I don't do anything crazy, but I love to run, right? It's a way for me to get out and clear my head. It's a way for me to stretch my legs, and I find myself being able to be in prayer and, and just think about life and the things that are going on. Um, and so I've developed a love for running. And where we lived in Clemson, we were literally like right around the corner from 60 miles of, of hike and bike trails. And so I used to love to go out there and just get lost on the trails um, and just run. And it kind of started to peak in me, just like a desire to do trail runs. I don't have a lot of trail runs under my belt, but like I really admire and respect the people that do these ultra races, right? Because of the endurance and, and the difficulty that it is and the, the rigor that's involved in training. And so I came across um, an advertisement for an ultra race that's actually happening at Table Rock, at Table Rock State Park in South Carolina. If you don't know anything about Table Rock, um, it's a huge state park just right nestled below the Blue Ridge Mountains and Table Rock Mountain, they call it a mountain, right? If you're from out west, you probably don't call it a mountain. Um, it's 4,000 feet tall, um, but uh, they've got a race. They've got a race there. And here's how they describe it. And I think this will kind of lead into where we're going with our passage this morning. I want to read it to you. The advertisement said this, roots and rocks, hills and creeks, views and memories, we offer them all and more at Table Rock Ultras. Your goal is the finish line. But lying between you and that goal is a lot of climbing, creek crossing, rock hopping, gel taking, and limit pushing. Right? Who's in? Yeah? Sounds good? Like, I want to go. Like, if it wasn't in September, I'd sign up today. Like, I'm not ready to go in September. But I love the description. Right? And one of the reasons why I, I love the thought of this and I, and I really respect and admire people that are able to do these long distance runs or any kind of endurance sport is that I just see so many parallels between that and what our Christian life should be like. Right? So this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And Paul's going to use a race analogy like he does so often. Um, to help us think about the Christian life, right? And in this portion of Paul's letter, um, I, I feel like it reads a little bit more kind of like a coach. Um, if you're in a race or getting ready to enter a race, here's some things that a coach might would want to say to you. And as I thought about this passage, I thought about what are some things that I would want you to hear and what are some things that if I could just share with my kids out of this passage, what are some things that I'd want them to walk away with? And so I've broken it up this way. The first one is run towards the goal. And that's going to be verses 12 through 17. And we'll get there in a second. Second is run your race. And third is expect to win. 
Right, so the first is, is run towards the goal, verses 12 through 17. And Paul writes this, he says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So what's the goal, right? What's the goal that Paul's talking about? It's the finish line, right? It's his target. It's what he's aiming for. I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. It's just a few verses up in your Bible in verse 10. And this is how Paul articulated what his goal was and what the prize was that he was running after. He said it was to know Jesus, right? To know the power of his resurrection, to know the fellowship of his suffering, and to be conformed to his death. Right? And then last, he said he wanted to reach the resurrection from among the dead. Right? Probably not what you and I came up with for our New Year's resolutions, right? Um, but bottom line, Paul's goal in life was to know Jesus. Right? He believed that knowing him fully was the greatest treasure he could ever receive. And he was willing to do whatever it took. And he ran with a sense of humility knowing that he had not yet reached his goal and that he never would fully attain his goal this side of heaven but he still reached for it, right? So in verse 12, when he talks about this idea of perfection, he said, not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect. When he talks about perfection, he's not using the word perfect in the same way that you and I might think or typically think about the word perfect. He's trying to communicate this idea of completeness, right? He's striving, running towards this goal of completeness in Christ, knowing that it will only be fully realized in heaven and, and, and when he goes and he, um, fully realized in heaven, um, and he goes on to say that he will only be able to take hold of this goal because Christ has taken hold of him. Yeah. Right? And, and one of the things I was thinking about as we were singing this morning is just how wonderfully our songs actually preached this sermon this morning. Um, and I, I hope that resonates with you as, as we get through this. That um, when we realize our need for Jesus, right, there's something God does. Right? He, he awakens us to the realities of who we are. Right? And he also awakens us to the realities of, of who we're not. Right? And there's this gap that exists between who we know ourselves to be and who we want to be in Christ. And we know that that can only be reconciled in Jesus. Right? And so there it creates in us this longing to want to grow. Right? To not be who we used to be and to become more like Jesus who we've fallen in love with, who we've gotten to know, who's rescued us from the sin that separated us from God. And so there's this desire to want to grow in this completeness, right? To become a complete person, only completed by Jesus. And for us to do that, it's going to take grit and it's gonna take resolve. And the only way that we're gonna get there is by the grace of our sovereign God. And it's going to be interesting to see how these two hold intention together, right? You're going to have to be determined. Um, and I, I want to see just if you even get what I'm talking about with grit, right? It's this idea that when you determine to trust God more than your own understanding because you know that your obedience to him is what's best for you and those around you, yeah, right? And just think about that, right? The different moments in your life where you're tempted to cut a corner, Right, where you're tempted to take the easy way out because you think it will be better. Right? And you might even convince yourselves, yourself that it's better for other people. But grit would tell us otherwise. Right? Grit is being willing to consider others before yourself even when you're tired and need a break. 
right? Grit is being determined to love your spouse and your kids even when it feels hopelessly difficult. Grit is turning down a lucrative opportunity that you know will lead you to compromise your faith in the way God would have you live in this world. Grit requires that you have the humility to let people speak openly and honestly into your life for your good. Grit is trusting God enough to tell someone close to you you're sorry and being willing to extend true forgiveness. Grit is being intentional to open the scriptures each day to remind yourself of God's love for you and your need for him. Right? You are going to have to have grit. And you're going to have to trust and rest in the sovereignty of God. What I mean is that you're going to have to trust that God is all-powerful and that he rules and reigns over all things. Right? This means he rules and reigns over your life. It's pretty amazing, right, to think about. Like we talked about this God who, who formed the heavens, who, who spoke all of creation into existence. He formed you. And we, we get on one level that he rules and reigns over all of that. Right? But then to take it another step and go, man, he sees you. Right? He sees you and he rules and reigns over you because he cares for you. And he wants what's best for you. It's not that he is, and God is going to carry you through. The reality is that God in his sovereignty is going to carry you through everything, every twist and turn and high and low of life, right? And it's not just that he's going to carry you through the highs and lows, but it's that through those highs and lows of life that he's actually conforming you into his very image, right? That's good news, right? So we've got to be okay with this tension between grit and sovereignty and these things, holding these two things in tandem. And I think... Like Paul is literally right now telling us that he is running after Jesus with everything he has. And at the same time, he's acknowledging that the only way he will achieve this goal is through the sustaining grace of God. Right? He can take hold of it, remember, because God has taken hold of him. Um, so maybe this, this will help illustrate. A few weeks ago, um, my family and I, we got to go to the beach. We love any chance to go to the beach. It doesn't matter the time of year. We will go. Um, and as our kids are getting older... They're getting better at swimming, um, and our boys in particular are wanting more and more to go swimming out past where the waves are and just kind of float, right, where the, the waves are just kind of rolling, and you just kind of sit there and float. Um, and so on this day, this particular day, one of my sons was like, Dad, let's go. Let's go out there. And, and it was a little rough while we were there. Um, the undertow felt a little strong, um, but I was like, okay, let's go. And so we went out. We made it through the breakers, and we were just kind of sitting there hanging out um, while the waves were rolling, and, and it started to pick up. Um, it started to feel like it wasn't really a place where we wanted to be anymore. It might be time to go into the shore. And so we started swimming back to shore, and as we got into this, this zone where, where the waves were, were crashing on top of us, we were finding ourselves continually ducking under a wave, popping up just to catch air to duck under another wave. And each time I'd come up and I'd look to make sure I saw another head, right? Because I didn't know if I needed to dive underwater and, and find somebody. But eventually we got to the spot where the waves were probably about my shoulders, but over my son's head. And so we ducked under a wave and we popped up and I knew this one he wasn't going to be ready for. And so I was able to jump in, swoop in and grab him my arm and the wave knocked us around. But I was with him and he was with me even while the wave was turning. And then we stood up and we made it to shore, right? So my son was doing everything he could to get to shore, right? That was his goal, right? He was striving. But then we made it there because I got him there. So in a very similar way, 
right? We've got this goal, this prize. We want to be completed in Christ. We want to, we want to be with God in heaven and, and live a life like rid of sin, right? And so we struggle and we strive. And we get there. It takes our grit, but we get there because God gets us there, right, in his sovereignty. So we've got to hold these intentions. I think Paul got this, right? Even in Philippians 2, he writes, he tells them, right, to work out their salvation, but to do it knowing that it's God who's at work within them to will and to work according to his good pleasure. All right, so let's jump back into verse 13. And now I think Paul is going to get into a little bit of race strategy with us, okay? So in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So how does Paul model or illustrate pursuing the prize? Well, he tells us we need to forget what's behind and reach forward to what's ahead. So here's why I think forgetting what's behind is, is so important, right? So many of us find ourselves frozen by our past, right? Whether it's past successes or failures, right? If we're not careful, we can think our past failures will define our future and as a result, cause us to live with a feeling of hopelessness. We can look at our shortcomings and entrapments and think there will never be a way out for us, right? And I just want to encourage you for a minute. If this describes you, you're not alone, Right, all throughout the scriptures, God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his kingdom work. Right, and throughout the scriptures, time and time again, God proves that he came not for those who thought they had their life together, but for those who knew their life had fallen apart. Right, so if you feel stuck, if you feel entrapped and without hope, then you're in good company. Because apart from Christ, this describes all of us. Right, and this is exactly why Jesus came. He came because we couldn't fix our past or write our future. Um, but maybe you're in here this morning and you're burdened by your past and you're feeling hopeless about your future. Well, the message that God has for you is one of rescue and hope, right? Hope that your past is no, no longer has to define you. Now, I want to acknowledge, right, there's some of you in, in here and you're asking the question, you're thinking in your head, like, what if, what if I can't forget, right? And I know there are some past traumas um, and things that you've experienced, and, and this, this word to forget would, is not helpful, right? And I don't actually think that's what Paul is trying to say, is that we should just put this stopper marker right here, forget everything that's happened to us, and just move on forward in the grace of God, right? But he is telling us it no longer needs to define us. Um, and, and I think it's so helpful for us to consider the words of Isaiah the prophet um, in Isaiah 42, 3, he's looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. And I want you to just read with me and think about how he describes Jesus. He says, he will not break a, ruised, a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. Think about this for a moment. Right? Like our all-powerful God, he knows how to approach us, small, finite creatures, with tenderness and care and nurture us back to life, right? He won't break a bruised reed, right? Think about a smoldering wick, right? You've seen a candle where the, the flame's about to go out, right? God and his sovereign power is able to grab that smoldering wick and whoo, just kind of breathe life into it and let the flame pop back up, right? 
That's how he approaches us. Right? Our heavenly father sent his son to earth to rescue us, right? to pick us up, to dust us off, right? to set us on a better course, to help us finish the race. All right, so we can't let our past define us, um, but we also can't rest in our past successes. Right? And, that, and, I think, and we can't rest in our past successes and think that future growth is going to happen. Some of you guys might remember a guy named Usain Bolt. Anybody watch him run on television? Yeah. So he's known as the world's fastest man. Um, now, we would all acknowledge that it's a pretty big deal to make it to the Olympics, right? Anybody in here do that? It might be, but it's not me. Um, it's an even bigger deal to win a medal, right? It's an even bigger deal to set a world record. All right, so did you guys know that between 2008 and 2009, Usain Bolt set the world record in the 100 meters three different times? Like, he beat himself twice, you know? Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, if I ever made it to the Olympics, I would probably feel myself accomplished enough to just kind of retire from whatever it is I did. If I ever set a world record, certainly, I would feel like it was time for me to step out. Um, But he didn't stop, right? He didn't stop growing. He didn't stop training. He didn't stop developing. And if he would have stopped, he would have never become, right, the runner that he became, How many of us find ourselves content to rest in our past victories, right? At some point, it just kind of becomes silly, right? Like, you don't want to be the person who's 50 years old showing up to parties wearing your Letterman jacket, right? (laughs) Or, like, polishing your high school championship ring, right? You don't want to do that, right? Hopefully, there's other accomplishments that you've achieved and will continue to achieve. 50 is still young, right? Right? we can do this even in our walk with Jesus, right? Some of you guys might even have journals on the shelf. You may have mission trip binders, right? Or things that you look to and go, man, remember the day? Remember when we used to go on mission trips, right? When it was so exciting to watch God work and, and we memorized scripture together. And, and remember when we were so active and, and sharing our faith and we were really dependent upon God and, and you could go on and on and on and on, but you found yourself stagnant, right? Because you're resting on past experiences for growth, and that's just not how growth happens. Paul warns us not to let our past failures or our past victories stop us from staying focused on the goal. So you see, the past is helpful to reflect on, but it's only helpful to the extent that it helps us reach forward to what's ahead, Right? It's not good for us to stay in the past. We have to, like Paul says, forget what's behind and reach forward to what's ahead. We have to keep moving, striving for growth in Christ. Right? We have to keep seeking to know Jesus and to be conformed to his image. And this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Paul says this intense pursuit is actually a sign of our maturity because those who are maturing want more of Jesus. Right? And in verse 17, Paul lets us in on one more strategy that I, that I don't want us to miss. In verse 17, he says this, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Right? He says, follow my example. Right? Follow the example of others running like me. We need to be intentional to run this race with others who have the same goal in mind. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? Any of you who have set big goals before know that one of the keys to accomplishing them is surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you and support you. This is how God set up the Christian life. 
Our walk with Christ was never intended to be done in isolation, but in the context of community. And that's one of the reasons why we make such a big deal about community groups, right? These are places where we get to meet regularly with other believers. We get to encourage one another, right? Through our shared devotion to Christ. We get to love one another sacrificially. We get to ask questions. We get to help each other, hold each other accountable and help each other keep the goal of becoming complete in Christ what's at the forefront of our minds. So running towards the goal means that we are seeking to know Jesus and to be like him, right? And we do this by forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to what's ahead, and following the right examples. Next, we've got to run a race, right? And I know that sounds a little individualistic, but what I mean is we've got to stick to our training, right? When runners train, especially your longer distance runners, they learn their bodies, right? And they learn the pace they need to hold at various points throughout the race to be able to finish with their fastest time or achieve a new personal record, right? Any runner's temptation is gonna be to become distracted by the pace of those running around them. And if they start out too fast or too slow, they'll hurt their ability to achieve their goals, right? And as followers of Jesus, we have to train, right? We have to run the race that God has set before us and we know that distractions are gonna come, but our training, which is time in scripture, right, and prayer, that's where the spirit of God works on us, forming us to his image, right? Being meaningfully engaged with a body of believers here, plugging in to your church, right? Inviting others into your life to help point out the gaps in your life, right? To pray for you, to pray with you. Here's the thing. All of us come to Christ because we know we need Jesus. So we need to get over being ashamed that we don't have it all together or that we actually still need Jesus, right? So let's create spaces, let's create communities where we can come together and be vulnerable with one another because we have the same prize, the same goal in mind, right? We wanna become complete in Christ and we know that we can't do it apart from ourselves and, and we know that each other, we are a gift to one another, Right? You've got gifts and strengths that I don't have, and I've got gifts and strengths that you don't have, and together we build strength into one another. We've got to stop thinking we have to be everything because we can't do it. So we have to train. Um, let's, see here. Let's, let's jump into verse 18. Paul says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And they're focused on earthly things. Right? This is a warning. There's a warning in these verses for us as well as, as an example to follow. Right? Paul warns the Philippians of the heartbreaking reality that there are those all around them who stand as enemies of the cross. And I want us to notice the emotion here. Right? He's in tears as he writes to them. Paul doesn't speak of these enemies of the cross as outsiders to be avoided, but as people who are missing out on Jesus. Right? And as a result, they serve their passions as God. Paul's heart breaks for them. Right? And, and really, he's calling them to, for their hearts to break for them. And so I think it, it's only helpful for us to ask the question, does our heart break? Right, for those who don't know Jesus, right, for those who are chasing after anything and everything 
to provide for them what only the creator can give. That's what happens. That's what people are running after, people that you work with, people you live around, people you go to school with. They're looking to anything and everything to provide for them what only the creator can give. And if our hearts don't break for these people, then perhaps it's because we've become overly consumed with earthly things also. This can happen to Christians too. Even those of us who know life can only be found in Jesus, we can still find ourselves looking to creation to give us what only can come from the creator. And when we do this, it leaves us feeling empty and dissatisfied. Our flesh lusts after sex, money, pleasure, fame, food, entertainment. And when we partake in these things outside of the context they're created for, we never experience the blessing they were intended to give. And it leaves us feeling hollow and empty. I heard a friend once talk about sin and temptation as chocolatey chains, right? And I thought that was such a good analogy. He said, sin looks so good in the moment. And it's such a distraction that we don't even realize that while we are indulging, we're becoming enslaved, right? We become its prisoner and its servant. And we all know what this is like because we've all experienced the entrapment of sin, right? We've all felt the despair and hopeless feeling we get when we try to rescue ourselves because we can't rescue ourselves. And that's actually what makes the gospel beautiful is when we come face to face with our inability to rescue ourselves, we've got no choice but to turn to Jesus who is there to rescue us, right? You can't do it and you never will, but God sees you, right? God sees humanity and out of love, he sent Jesus to rescue you. And when he rescues us, he reorients the trajectory of our lives, He gives us a vision for a new goal, a goal that's not set low upon earthly things, but one that turns our eyes towards heaven. So let's just stop for another minute, right, and do a little self-evaluation. Where are you in your race? Have you gotten distracted with earthly things? Are you running hard after Jesus with everything you have? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are aspiring to do the same? Like, what steps today do you need to make to make sure that you're running towards the right goal. Maybe there's somebody you need to talk to. Who do you need to invite into your life? It's so easy for us to find ourselves off pace and even off course because we've taken our eyes off the goal. We've taken our eyes off Jesus and placed them on something else. And when this happens, we simply have to just stop, get back on course, and set our vision to the proper goal, right? Looking to Jesus. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the writer writes this. He says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's simply this, lay aside every hindrance, right? Get rid of the things that turn your eyes and your heart away from Jesus. Don't get distracted. Run the race with endurance, right? Think about runners, right? When they race, how do they dress? They definitely don't wear a lot of bulky things, right? 
Um, they wear short shorts or really tight clothing. Right? And they're trying to get rid of anything that would hinder them from running their fastest race, their best race. So similarly, we need to rid ourselves of anything that's hindering us from following Jesus. Right? There's some personal soul work we probably have to do here. There's some questions we need to ask of people who know us best. Say, hey, where are the gaps in my life? Help me see them because I don't want to stay the same person that I am today. I want every day that I can reflect a little bit more and more of who Jesus is. And it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross for you. Right? And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's a picture of victory. Right? It's done. Right? Jesus did this for you. And this brings us to our last point that we should expect to win, right? These last two verses that we're going to read in our passage in Philippians, I think, are just filled and dripping with hope. And in verse 20, it says this, our citizenship, in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself, right? If you are in Christ, you can know that you will reach the goal at the end of your race. Right? Those who are in Christ are citizens of heaven. This is an idea that the Philippians, under, the, the Philippians understood really well. Right? They were in Philippi, a Roman colony, and their citizenship was in Rome. So Paul, picking up on this, says, Hey, look, Philippians, you live here, but your citizenship is in heaven. Right? You're a part of God's family. And you know what? Your Savior's coming back for you. Right, listen to what he says in 21. He says, he will transform the body of our humble condition, our broken, fallen, sinful bodies. He will transform them into the likeness of his glorious body. You will get there. You will get there. And he's going to do it. You know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So our sovereign God redeems us and sets us on course to run the race that he has set before us. He lifts our eyes to a prize unimaginably better than anything this world has to offer. The prize is himself and all, all his infinite wisdom and glory, and he promises to make us like him. He's the source of every living thing, right? And in him, in him alone, we find ourselves complete. So as we close our time, I want to leave you with this, and then I'll pray. On this race that God has set you on, there will be roots and rocks, hills and creeks, views and memories. You will experience them as you reach forward towards the prize of Christ Jesus in heaven. Your goal is the finish line, but lying between you and that goal is a lot of climbing, creek crossing, rock hopping, gel taking, and limit pushing. But rest assured that those who are in Christ will finish the race because he has taken hold of you in his sovereign, all-powerful hand that enables him to subject everything to himself. Will it require grit? Yes, it'll require a lot of it. But God and his grace will get you there. So run towards the goal. Run your race according to your training and expect to win. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for your grace. God, we are, we are in desperate need of you um, because we are not today who we hope to be one day. 
God, and we ask that you would um, continue the work that you began in us to make us more and more like your son, Jesus. And God, and I pray if there's anybody who's in here and they're, they're seeing um, who they are in light of you, God, they're seeing that they need a rescue and that they can't save themselves. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of who you are. God, that you are a loving and gracious God. God, who approaches us with gentleness, who wants to heal us and restore us. God, we thank you for your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.